Goodbye, children, and most of our church people. (laughs) (laughs) So um, if you're just joining us, we are in a summer training series. Okay, first of all, let me say, I'm Lindsay. Sorry, I might not have met you yet. This is Matthew, my good husband. And um, we worked on a sermon together this week, which went way better than I thought it was going to go. We did not fight very much, so that was good. So we're in a summer training series, um, but the purpose of the series isn't to just like um, impart really good skills for your life. Uh, The purpose of the series is to um, effectively live out God's mission in this world. So we are in week three of the four weeks. Uh, The first week, um, Jay took some time to talk about stewarding time, um, which is making time for God's mission. And in it, he talked about that... um, Time is a resource that we've been given by God, Uh Um, that God uh, wants our first fruits, so he wants the best of our time, and that we um, should create margin in our life, so spaces in our busy lives, so we can have time for others and we can have time for God. Last week, um, Jay emphasized hospitality, and he really drove home that this is a marker of a Christian life, that we should be hospitable people. Um, And hospitality is just breaking down walls for mission and loving strangers like family. And we can do this by using whatever environment God gave us. It doesn't matter if you have a big house, we have a small apartment or a workspace. You have space to help people be who they truly are, um, help them become who God wants them to be, and help them to do hospitality themselves. So this week, we're going to look at prayer, which is being empowered for mission. And next week, um, John and Jay will be speaking together on how to disciple, um, particularly children, when that's just doing the mission, right? Um, So like I said, uh, this week we're doing prayer. Um, I noticed Jay likes to write words on the board and circle them, so I nailed that. Um, (laughs) Good start. So uh, just get the ball rolling. Uh, What do you guys think about when you think of prayer? Like what comes to your mind? doing this okay (laughs) yeah it's a gift do you want to elaborate that a little bit more yeah so it's an opportunity to talk to God anyone else Hmm. yeah I think that one's huge I think we forget about that sometimes right that it's it is a conversation it's a back and forth Hmm. Yeah, so it's not like, well, I want something now, so I'm going to talk to God. Like, there's merit in prayer itself and just spending time with God. That's great. Thank you. How about, um, do we ever think of prayer in a bad way? Like, maybe it's time-consuming. I felt that way. I felt like prayer is sometimes something I have to plan um, or something that takes a lot of my time. Um I've talked to a few other people, and someone said, like, he's fallen into the trap of prayer is a way to prove to either myself or to other people or to God that he's a good person. And I think I've been there, too. Like, right, if I pray, um, you know, I'm talking to God, I'm doing a good job, like, check it off the list, we're good. And then when I don't talk to God, I'm disappointed in myself, and, um, you know, I've kind of failed. But that's not the gospel, right? Like, that's earning God's love, and that's, that's not the God that we have. 
So prayer, right, God's attitude towards us doesn't change whether we pray or not. It's not about earning his love or being a good person or feeling guilty. It's about who God is and being in a relationship with him. So today, um, Matthew and I just want to do some practical theology about prayer, um, which means we just want to talk about things that are really going to impact our life and how we pray. So we're going to, how we view God directly impacts how we view prayer. This is, this is the point for the morning. How we view God directly impacts how we view prayer. So if you think of God as distant and hands-off, you're probably not going to talk to him much, right? He's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. I don't know why we would talk to each other. Um, if God is like a genie who grants my wishes, I'm probably just going to talk to him when I want something, and I'm probably going to be pretty upset when I don't get it. Um, I think another common um, idea about God is that he's a cruel judge. So if you even have the guts to talk to God, you're probably going to feel like you're disappointing him. And, um, you know, that if you need something, that you're going to have to beg him for it. Um, that's not the God that we see in scriptures. It's not the God that we see in Jesus. Prayer at its core is just communicating and communing with the real loving God. And that God is real and he is intimate. So I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I would pray, and I kind of would just, like, rattle stuff off. But I would lay there in my bed, and I would think, like, am I talking to somebody, or am I just talking to the ceiling? Like, is someone actually listening? And um, the good news is is that someone is listening, and we see this over and over again in Scripture. Um, and one of my favorite examples of this is in the Old Testament, um, it was really important to God to demonstrate to his people that he was the real God, that he was the one and only one, because in every culture around them, there were, like, a plethora of gods to pick from, like, just so many. And unfortunately, Israel did find themselves worshiping other gods a lot, and it was Yahweh wanted to win their hearts back. So Elijah, in 1 Kings, um, sets up a meeting with King Ahab, and he says, look, I know people have been worshiping Baal, who's a pagan god, Um, I want to set up a competition between Baal and Yahweh. And um, if Baal wins, we'll worship him. If Yahweh wins, everyone has to worship him. So King Ahab's like, yep, let's do this. So they set up two altars. And Baal has like literally hundreds of prophets. And they surround the altar and everyone's got it all set up. And the only thing that the god, either Baal or Yahweh, has to do is just set the altar on fire, which I, you know, without means is kind of impressive, right? So Elijah is a gentleman, and he lets Baal's prophets go first, and they're praying for hours, and nothing's happening. So we pick up in 1 Kings 18.27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely Baal is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So Elijah's just full-out mocking Baal's prophets, right? Like, it's kind of some smack talk. Um, But he's confident that Baal is not showing up. And he's so confident that Yahweh is real and that he's going to show up that before he calls on him, he has people put water on the altar three times. And when um, they do this, he... He turns to God and he says, in verse 37, 
Answer me, Lord. Answer me. Why? So these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And in that moment, God comes and he consumes everything. Elijah was confident that God was real and that he was going to show up in a real way. And we can have that same kind of confidence in him. When the fake gods in our life, when the bales in our life fail us and they don't show up, Yahweh will be there in a very real way. So not only is God real, he's intimate, right? The first story we see in the Bible is God creating us, and he's in relationship with us, right? He walks, walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. He wants to know them, and he wants to be known. Um, and unfortunately, that relationship breaks down. But even further along in the Bible, God is actually referred to by the relationship that he has with people. They'll refer to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God makes himself known to Abraham to be intimate with him, um, but he's also looking to lead to a relationship with a special people that he calls Israel. And he's hoping to make himself known through these people, Israel, who he calls his children. They're special not because they're more worthy of God's love, but because God wants to demonstrate his love to the world through them. And when Israel fails at this, uh, like we all do, um, he gave them prophets, right, like Elijah, and gave them words to call his people back to him or to warn them when they turned away. God is not distant. He didn't make you and me and say, okay, like passing you off to somebody else now. We're good, like all the best. Our God is involved, and he loves us deeply. I love the way um, our daughter's Bible puts this. Um, it's the Jesus Storybook Bible, the ones that we actually sent to Haiti. Um, it says that God pursues us with his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And we see this love demonstrated in a lot of different ways. We see it in the Trinity, right? We see God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in relationship with each other, in, in unity, loving each other, right? And it was out of that love, like an outpouring of that love, that God created us. And when that relationship broke down, when there was a gap between us, God loved us so much in that moment that the Son became a man so that he could bridge the gap between humans and God forever. And we see this all over Jesus' life, right? We see his, God's deep love for us, and we also see the importance of prayer. So Jesus himself makes time for prayer, which, if I'm being honest, at first glance seems really weird, right? Like, if anybody could get away with not praying, it was Jesus, right? Like, I think he could have even talked to himself fulfilled the requirements for praying, right? Because he was God. <laughs> so um, I think there's two things happening there. I think Jesus is demonstrating to us that we need to be connected with God, right? That that's just something we need to do. Um, but I also think that it was really important for Jesus. He wasn't operating out of his own power. He was leaning on God the Father and uniting his will with the Father's will through prayer. It sinks his heart with the Father's heart. And prayer is so important to Jesus that he gives us an example of how to pray. 
Um, I'm sure most of you have heard of the Our Father. Um, we're not really going to dig into that too much, but I really want to emphasize the beginning of that prayer because I think God, uh, Jesus is trying to teach us something. Uh, so Matthew 6, 5 through 13 says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the prayer goes on. So I think what Jesus is trying to get at at the beginning of this passage is our intentions in prayer are really important. He talks about people who are praying to be seen, um, who are praying for the approval of others, um, and feel like they need to use lots and lots of words for God to even want to listen to them. And Jesus is trying to point out to us that praying is not about status. It's not about impressing other people or getting their approval. And it's not about, you know, giving God a huge monologue so he'll listen to you, right? It's just about being with God and acknowledging that God is God and you are not. And Jesus really got that prayer was about God the Father, right? His whole life was about God's will. And he did this even to the cross. Jesus, right, the only person in all of history who was always in step with the Father, accessing him through prayer, doing his will, is the one that takes all of our sins on himself to the cross, right? Defeating sin and the punishment that we're supposed to get. And not only that, he rises again, defeating death for us. That's love. If I haven't clarified yet, I'm not talking about romantic comedy, flowery, fluffy kind of love. I'm talking about that. That is the deep, intimate love that God has for you. It's good news. We see this love in the Holy Spirit, who also is in step with the Son and the Father. John 16, 13 to 15 says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, that's Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So you see in the Holy Spirit also demonstrating to us being in step with the Father and the Son. <clears throat> but he also dwells in us. And I think this is one that I forget. Like, I forget how absolutely amazing this is. In the Old Testament, it was just, like, amazing that God would hang out with his people in fire and, like, a cloud right? That was crazy. Then God committed to being in a building, and this was like mind-blowing, that the God of the universe would be accessible in a building, and even then, like only one special person could kind of like be super close to him every once in a while, and they tied a rope to that guy just in case the, like, the glory of God killed him, right? So this is like a really big deal. After Jesus God of the universe lives in our bodies, 
right? He's that close. He's that acceptable. He is that intimate. And he brings us into the Trinity through that, right? That love that he experiences in himself. He invites us into that by just being with us all the time. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. In Romans 8, 26, 27, he says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the minds of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So even when we don't know what to say, or we don't know how to say it, the Spirit intercedes for us. So what does this mean for our prayer life, right? Okay, so God is real. He's like expresses his intimacy and his real deep love for us through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how does this change things? Um, I'm just going to highlight a few. One, God wants to be in relationship with us. If you have not been paying attention this entire time, now is a good time to join us. God wants to be in relationship with us, um, which has real implications, right? Like, our prayers are not a burden to God. He wants to be communicating with us, and he wants to take care of us. He's a good dad. Um, we also don't have to hide what we're feeling from him because we can't really hide it anyway, right? So if I'm angry at God or I'm frustrated or I don't even know what to say to him, like, it's okay, right? I think God has proven that he wants a real, genuine relationship. And if you've had one of those relationships in your life, you know that you can be real about how, what you're feeling. And that's what we have with God. Uh, second, God listens and cares. In Philippians 4, 5b-7 says, The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus church worrying is not praying right this is one i really struggle with i don't know if it's because i'm a mom like i feel like i always have always have like 20 things to do and i can do 20 things that day and i still have 20 more things to do i don't know what that is so i just start worrying like i don't even think i'm consciously doing it i just start worrying and i think what's happening there is i know that i am not enough right so I worry about how I'm going to do all these things because I know I can't. But that's not prayer, right? When we pray, we acknowledge that I'm not God. God is God. And he offers us real peace in that. And peace is a fruit of the Spirit. So the more that we lean into prayer and away from worry and acknowledging that God is God and I'm not, the more that you're going to see peace in your life. Three, God has something to say to us so we should listen, right? Um, someone mentioned that, but I think sometimes we forget. We have a God that we can listen to. And doing this, doing any of this, requires humility. When Solomon consecrated the temple, God told him in Second Chronicles, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will hear their land. If that was true then... Right? If God wanted to do all those great things for them then, how much more true is that now? Now that we have life in Christ and life in the Holy Spirit. Just like Abraham, Elijah, and others in the Old Testament, God speaks to us. 
we need to create space to listen. Think about those margins that Jay was talking about, right? We need to create space in our lives to hear God speaking to us. Fourth, God has something to say through us. This is one I've been struggling with recently, especially right now. Like, I did not think God wanted me to be here today. <laughs> like, um, we've been through a lot of transitions recently. We've been, like, crazy busy. And I don't know if you noticed, I have a new baby. I think he puked on me before I came up here. <laughs> so I was like, this doesn't seem like a good time for God to want to talk to me. Um, and I don't have any stay-at-home moms here. I don't like think a uh, common experience in our culture is people ask, oh, what do you do? Oh, you're a, I'm a mom. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Okay, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like, we're not, no one really cares necessarily what we think or what we're up to. Um, but the good news is, is that doesn't define me, right? God wants to use me whether or not I'm being a good mom, whether or not I'm busy, whether or not I'm, you know, doing a great job. There is no life circumstance, nothing and no one who God can't use when our hearts are turned to him and we listen. He wants us, church. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit testifies that we are God's children. Romans 8, 14 to 17 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you can live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are the children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We are the children of a loving dad, siblings of Christ, and temples of the Holy Spirit. The dad who deeply, we have a dad who deeply loves us, a brother who gave his life for us, and the spirit who loves through us. And it's the same spirit who draws us to the heart of God and pours out that deep, intimate love through us. And we get to do all of this in prayer. Thank you, Lance. That was, that was great. Um, so, do you want a trade? What? Do you want a trade? Are you okay? No, I'm okay. Thank you. Um, I, uh, so we were praying beforehand, and we felt like God was trying to say two things to us. Um, about what we should be saying this morning. The first, and I think Lindsay nailed this, is that God wants us. That he wants to be in relationship. He wants to be intimate with each and every one of you. And a prayer is, is the perfect way to do that. The second um, was that God can do anything. And specifically, God can do anything through you. Um, and I, that may seem obvious. And, and all of this, to, obviously, it might seem a little bit obvious to you. But the truth is, if you're anything like me, and you probably are because you're a human being, you're fickle, you're forgetful, you, you need to be reminded of this stuff again and again and again. So whether this is your hundredth time or your first time, I just want to remind you that we all need that course correction. I need it, Lindsay needs it, we all need it. Um, and, and that's where we're going this morning, is we want to course correct and turn back to God in a way that we may have forgotten about or not emphasized enough lately. So, before we do that, um, before we talk about what God can do, I want to just ask you a question. So, God has this tremendous power at his fingertips. Uh, what's the point, though? 
Why, why does he use that power? It's not rhetorical. What's the ultimate goal of that power? To bring glory to him. Yes, absolutely. That is the end result. Um, but that's not the only thing that he's doing. Does anybody else have any other ideas? To bring us to him. Exactly. I think it's both of these things. It's not just glory, because if it was just glory, a couple well-placed lightning bolts might do the trick, right? <laughs> it's, it's glory through intimacy. He wants to restore our relationship with him so we can properly know him, and as a result, we will glorify him, because if you know God, you want to glorify him. So it's glory through intimacy, which is huge. So we're actually going to use this, so this wasn't just a joke. Um, <laughs> But I, I want to do some more practical theology. We're going to talk about eschatology, which is a really big word. This really means theology related to the end of all things. Can you mean all that? Sounds much more scary than it is, I promise. Give me one second. So, uh, th- we're going to talk about the Jewish model first, and then we'll talk about uh, what actually happens. So, uh, Jews have this mindset that, you know, God set up everything, and then we fell immediately, we rebelled immediately, and now we're living in this, or it's very, very uh, scary sounding time frame, the present evil age. And then they think the Messiah will come. The Messiah will come right here and solve everything, and then the kingdom of God will be here, and everything will be great. So, what's present in this evil age? It's, it's disease. It's just kind of like, to show you the difference, it's death, lies, injustice, Turn on the news. You, you see all of these things, right? And then when God comes, and, and sin is another, another big one, when God comes and, and Messiah comes and institutes the kingdom of God, we would see the opposite. We would see holiness. We would see health and life and justice and love and peace. We would see you know, cops having barbecues with people and, and Black Lives Movement. You know, we'd, we'd be seeing, seeing stuff like that. Some stuff we actually already see. And I think we already see that because we are living in a different kind of time frame. So this is what actually has occurred throughout history. There is still this present evil age. We're still living in it. Turn on the news. That's obvious. And Messiah has already come, too. So we see this right here, beginning of Mark. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Boom, kingdom of God starts right here. But they're overlapping. It wasn't this quick break. And they're overlapping. And, and the present evil age will continue, according to the Bible, until God comes back, until Jesus comes back to reign in glory forever and ever. 
Um, so Jesus' return will end this. But right now, we're living in this weird area here where it's still the kingdom, we're still in the kingdom of God and we're still in the present evil age. So some people have coined the term the already but not yet. We're in the kingdom, but we're not quite in the kingdom. The kingdom is here, but it's still coming. Um, and this... This is really useful for a number of, uh, of things. First, this helps us deal with the pain of prayer not being answered. Because we're still here. We're still dealing with these things right here. But we're also here. So prayer is worth doing because we can experience these things as well. And, and it's particularly painful. And I've had this happen in my own life where you're praying for something and you're praying for something, and you're praying for something, and you feel like it lines up with God's will, and it doesn't happen. And you get mad, really mad. You expected things to go this one way, and they didn't. And you may be feeling like that, that's God's fault. He didn't, he didn't bring the kingdom fast enough. But really, I ultimately think that it's just a sign of the time. So we're still caught in this in-between moment in history, and the truth is that Jesus is still the solution to that. His kingdom is still the solution to that pain. Yes, it, you're experiencing this when you want to be experiencing this. But Jesus' return and his full return to glory is still that answer to that. So I think that's um, important because it not only helps us answer a really important question when prayers don't get answered, why, how can that be? And I think that, that clearly shows that we're stuck in this in-between time. But I also think it helps us frame prayer for us. What is prayer? Well, why do we do it? And I think it's ultimately to help usher in that same kingdom that Jesus is continuing to usher in. So we see in the beginning of Mark, Jesus, uh, he, he says, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And Mark is particularly great at, at, at doing this because it's, it's just like one run-on run sentence almost. You know, God then did this, Jesus did this, then he did that, then he did this. He healed this person, then he went over there and he freed that person from demonic oppression, and then he went and talked to this person and freed them from sin, on and on and on and on. And uh, I love Mark for that. But the, the question I have for you, for you guys this morning is, how can Jesus pray like that? Like, what allows him to do that? And I, I picked four things. There's probably more, and they definitely overlap, but these four are important to me um, when, when thinking about this. I think the first one, and Lindsay hit on this uh, really well, is that he's in line with the will of the Father. So he knows what God is thinking, what God wants to do. He prays with faith. Or another way to put that... He prays with expectation that God will move. He prays with authority because he is God. In Matthew, uh, a centurion walks up to Jesus and says, I need you to heal my servant. And Jesus is like, of course, I'll, I'll come do that. I'll go to your house, I assume. And this is obviously a paraphrase. Um, but the centurion's like, you know what? I'm a soldier. I have soldiers under me. I know what authority's like, and I know that you have authority. So I know that you don't actually need to come and do that. You can pray and make that happen right from here. 
And Jesus is blown away. He hasn't seen faith like that amongst his own people. And he's really surprised to see a Gentile with that kind of faith. So he says, of course, it's done. And, of course, the servant was healed. So he praises the authority because he is God himself. And then he's also empowered by the Holy Spirit. When he is baptized in the Jordan, that's exactly what happens to him. The Holy Spirit comes and rests on him and empowers him. What's really interesting about these four things is that they can all be true of us, right? So we can be in line with the Father. As Lindsay was reading in John 16, the Holy Spirit makes God's God's will known to us through Jesus. So we get to be connected with what God's thinking, what God wants to do through prayer. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, I think it's one of the reasons we see Jesus run off all the time. He's in solitude praying. And, uh, yeah, it is a little weird that if God needs to pray to God, then, I don't know, I just feel like we probably should. Like, that's a good... <laughs> if he needs to do it, uh, then we definitely need to do it. Um, uh, Josh, uh, Jesus also prays with faith and expectation, and we can too. The reason that we can is because... Jesus specifically tells us that we can. It says in Matthew 7, 7-11, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Excuse me. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to, you, to those who ask him? Every morning, um, and I'm not around a lot for mornings anymore because I'm, I'm working a lot, but um, my daughter goes through the same routine. She wants, she, she wants uh, juice, she wants vitamins, and it used to be applesauce, but now it's cheese. <laughs> <laughs> a woman after my wife's own heart. Yes. Um, so she, she wants these things, and she begs for them, but she doesn't like seem to remember the day before that or the 50 days before that where we gave her exactly what she wanted. So here's your juice, here's your vitamin, here's your cheese. Um, and she, she like whines and freaks out and throws this mini tantrum, and it was dawning on me one day, I was trying to give her applesauce back in those days, when it was still applesauce. I, I was thinking, like, man, why doesn't she remember, like, yesterday? Like, she really think I'm going to let her starve for the first five minutes of this day? And um, I just remember also thinking right after that, it's like, oh, that's kind of how I treat God, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, you do that. You forget my provision for you all the time. You freak out. You panic. You, you throw your tantrum when the provision's already on the way, just like it was the day before, and the day before that, and the day before that, and the year before that. See, we don't need to beg God. He's a good dad, much better than I will ever be, and he still knows how to take care of, of me. And I feel like sometimes we approach God with this need to and in particular prayer, we approach it with this like need to convince him to care. And as Lindsay clearly laid out, that's, that's not the case. He does. He cares so much. 
So we don't need to convince him with lots of words. We don't need to promise him anything in return. We just got to talk to our dad and let him know what we're worried about. And then listen. We can pray with authority because Jesus is God. It worked for him and it worked for us too. John 14, 12 to 21. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So we don't need to have our own authority, and I I think this is one of the most thought-provoking passages in the entire Bible. Like, what? You run around, like, healing people, forgiving them sin, you know, releasing them from demons, and then you said, yeah, you'll do that, and more. But we're not doing that through our own authority, are we? Our own authority, are we? We're doing that through God. We're doing that in his name. And that's huge. That, that makes all the difference. That takes it from trying to do it in our own power to doing it in the power of God. And then we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit as well. That Every one of you already has the Holy Spirit in, in you if you're a Christian. Back in the day, that wasn't the case because there they're a bunch of Christians, followers of Jesus, who were just like sitting around, like, just saw him die, come back, go up to heaven. What the heck are we doing next? Then Pentecost happens, and, and they're, they're mostly filled with that fear. They're mostly filled with fear at that time. But Jesus, I mean, the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills them with himself instead. And then from then on, the church is inhabited by the Holy Spirit, every one of us. The moment we become a Christian, boom, the Holy Spirit's there to start testifying what God's doing in your life, to empower you with gifts. And, and this is what we see in the Bible. This, the gifts of the Spirit empowered in, in people um, on full display, so much so that Paul needs to give directions on how to use them in worship to not distract people. Um, and this becomes the new normal. This, this is expected... Um, the, church, the church is actually expected to gift to to walk in these gifts consistently. Um, when I uh, when I was a youth pastor a couple years ago, I went to Haiti with a bunch of my kids and Haiti, no Costa Rica. Um, sorry, <laughs> thanks, mom. Um, yeah, it's Costa Rica, um, and it was a really good time. I really really enjoyed it. They spoke for, uh, Spanish, not Creole, um, and. Uh, we were worshiping one night, and we had made some time to ask God to, to move, to say some things. And I, I was listening and listening and listening while we were worshiping, and I heard First Corinthians 12. So I read the whole chapter, and it's basically the instruction manual about how to use gifts. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I like that, that passage. What do you want to do with that, God? And he's like, well, you're going to need this tonight because I want to empower these students with this. So I shared that with my co-leader. I was like, does that sound crazy, or does that sound like something God wants to do? Is this weird reaction to lunch, or is this, or is this God? And she's like, yeah, no, that's, that's God. Go. Tell people to do that. So I go up front, in, the middle, in between two worship songs, I go up front, and I tell people. I lay it out. I read the passage to them. I said, God wants to do that with you guys. 
So we pray for the Holy Spirit to come and give these gifts. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It was kids, I've been working so hard to get them to experience God. Suddenly we're speaking in tongues or, you know, having gifts, the gift of prophecy and, and, and talking about things that they were seeing. And it was, it was so amazing. I actually remember walking around and laughing every time, just in pure, utter joy, every time I saw one of my kids or anybody else's kids. Like, we're talking like, I think around 60 kids that day. Um, experiencing God and, and showing the outpouring of the Spirit there. And I think, I don't know, I have that same feeling in the air about us, that God wants to do that same thing here. And I don't know what that looks like, and I'm not going to do anything weird this morning so you can rest <laughs> in that. But I, I just, I, I have that same feeling about us, that God wants to sh- share that same gift with us. And I guess this morning's sermon is sort of like a first step in that direction. So, as we uh, wrap up, I want to give you uh, a couple tips, just quick, down and dirty tips about how to improve your prayer life. So the first one, if you're not doing this, do this one. Ignore all the rest. This one's the most important. Pray in the name of Jesus actually say those words in your prayer because his name has more power than any of your words so do that number two this one will mess up your life <laughs> in a but good it's, way. it's what in a very good way but do it. it's, it's great instead of saying can i pray for you which is great I'm, I'm glad you had the impulse to say can i pray for you right now just two extra words change everything and I know part of you kind of wants to die already thinking about that. And that's fine. That, what that is is fear, though. Fear of man. And what we've learned through Lens is that we are already accepted, that we're already loved. We do not have to, to live in fear. We can live in his love instead. And in his approval, we don't need other people's approval. But that changes things. It changes it from, oh, let me pray for you at another time when it's like convenient to... And, and, and frankly, I always forget to do that. So I'd much rather know that I prayed for you right then than promise I'm going to and then forget. Um, <clears throat> you know, a little moment of honesty there. But I, I think this changes things from being, oh, this is a nice gesture, to let's bring the kingdom of God to bear right now. What does God want to do in this moment? Does he want to heal this person's back? Does he want to free him from this thing that's holding them down? And it brings it, from, brings it from a nice gesture to something that is very powerful and can be done right there in that moment. And I think that's huge. That's huge. So can I pray for you right now? Number three, pray with your eyes open. And I've read, I've checked, like, there's nothing in the Bible that says you need to pray with your eyes closed. We're good there. Um, <laughs> but the reason, the reason I say this is because you want to pray with your eyes open because you have an expectation that God's going to do something that you need to see what's going to happen as a result of your prayer. I think that's a big step of faith, and, a, and, and expectancy is, in general is just really good to do. Um, number four, pray short, direct, clear prayers. Um, this goes back to uh, what Jesus said. You don't need to be long-winded. You can pray short, quick prayers. God, heal this person's back in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. That's how Jesus rolls. I think we can do it too. Um, but we, we can do that because God is on the move and he doesn't need to be convinced to help. He already wants to do that. He's already trying to usher in his kingdom. And we get to participate in that. Five, talk with God because he's waiting to talk with you. So ask him. You can ask him about whatever you want. It's your choice. But then actually listen. Give him a moment to talk back to you. And then number six, if you don't know what your gifts are or this, this whole idea is foreign to you about spiritual gifts, that's fine. Um, but try this. Reading, read over the gifts of the Spirit in the Bible and pray about them. Pray about how God wants to express them through you. If you want to find them, you can find them in Romans 12, 6 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. But those would be my, my six tips. Oh, and one bonus tip. Um, it's tip number seven. Uh, if you're struggling, if life is really hard, and all you want to do is curse at God, do it. Talk to him. And if that means cursing at him, just do it. Um, I went through a period in my life where I was so mad with God. I, I thought if I was obedient that my life would turn out okay, that he would kind of give me what I want. And he was trying to say, no, if you're obedient, you're living in my, in my obedience, and that's, that's the reward. Um, and it, it was really hard for me to, to, to choke that down. And honestly, either I didn't want to talk to him or I just wanted to yell at him. He's a big boy. He can take it. And after you run out of steam, just listen and see what he wants to say in return. Once. Okay, so we cannot do a whole sermon about prayer and not pray, right? That would, I'm pretty sure Jay would come back from Haiti right now, <laughs> give us a talking to. Um, so we're just going to take a couple minutes. Um, we just want to create space for you guys to try this, right? So just remember, like, we have been giving a spirit of adoption, right? It's a sonship, as God's children. We do not have a spirit of fear, so you, there's no pressure on us to perform or to do this right. It's just creating space for God to speak to us. Um, so I'm going to give us just a few minutes to do that, um, and I want you to maybe try some of these things. Um, ask God to speak to you, okay? So you can just ask him, like, maybe a question about what's going on in your life, but to say something to you specifically. Um, and then if that happens, tell someone about it. Tell them about it during you know, musical worship or when you go up for communion or after. Um, but tell someone about it and pray about it Do together. Do it today. Yes, today. Like today. This um, morning, preferably. Um, two, you can ask God to speak to you on someone else's behalf. So you can say, God, what do you want to say to somebody else in this room? Or what do you want to say to somebody in my missional community? Or what do you want to say to this person sitting next to me? So this one's like, you know, feeling, feeling brave. Go for it, right? And if God tells you something, you can go to that person and say, hey, I think God might have said this. Let's pray about it together, okay? If you don't hear anything, you still get to pray. You can go find someone and say, look, I'm having a hard time with this, or this is new. I don't even know how I feel about it. Or, hey, this is something I want to grow in. I want to hear God talk to me. And you guys can pray together about that. So everyone here has an opportunity to listen and to pray. 
So we're going to start now. Um, I'm going to start us off with a prayer, give us a few minutes, and then uh, we'll finish. I'll finish us up in prayer as well. Okay. Holy Spirit, come. God, I just pray that you would fill this room. You would just break down anything in our lives that gets in the way of hearing you and hearing your truth. Would you just help us hear you now, God? Speak to us. God, we just, we thank you. Thank you for being a God that wants to be in a relationship with us. That's a good dad and wants to take care of us and does take care of us. And wants to be in a relationship. So God, if would you just help us, help us believe that just at the core of our being. Would you just have, have your way in our lives today and every day to come? Amen. Okay, so um, we're going to continue the service. Um, we do this in a few different ways. Um, the band's going to come back up and sing some more songs so we can continue through um, musical worship. Um, another way that we can respond to what God is up to is through tithes and offerings, right? So if this is your home, church, um, you know, it's okay. Um, If this is your home, church, um, we just ask that you would give joyfully um, whatever you feel like God's calling you to give. If you're a visitor, um, there's absolutely no obligation to give. Uh, This time is our gift to you. And um, finally, we're going to... um, take communion together. We do that together in groups. If you're looking for someone to do that with, you're welcome to join me. Um, So baskets can come up, say one more quick prayer, and we will sing to God. So um, God, just thank you for everything that you've done today. Um, Thank you for being more than enough. And would you just use these gifts to bless the people around us? Would you just grow your kingdom? And would you be with the people in Haiti, God? Would you just be blowing our expectations out of the water of what you're doing there? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.